So what does that mean for those of us who have fallen to peer pressure, who have fallen to fear of man? It means that we need not despair because caving into this, caving into the opinions and fear of man is a sin. And because it's a sin, that means Christ died even for that. Welcome back to Roundtable, a podcast produced by Mid-America Reformed Seminary. This is episode 50, and I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for joining us. Continuing our lineup of Christ-centered preaching from the faculty at Mid-America, Reverend Andrew Compton, professor of Old Testament studies, brings to us a message from the book of Proverbs titled, Do Not Walk in the Way with Them. I hope you enjoy. Proverbs 1 Starting at verse 8, this is the word of the Lord. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are your graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like shoal, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So far, the reading of God's Word. I read of a study that took place back in 2005 that that focused on a, a kind of a combination of peer pressure and neurological activity. Peer pressure and, and sort of brain waves. There was this group of five people that were gathered into a room and they were hooked up to I don't know the technical word, but brain scanning machines. And this group was then asked a range of questions, all in each other's presence, all sitting around, and had to answer them one at a time, listening to each other. And yet here's the catch. Of those five people, four of them were actors. Four of them were paid by these uh, scientists and had been told to give fake answers to the questions. And what they found then is that even when a test subject, that fifth person, even when they knew that the answer being given by the four other people was wrong, they would go along with that 40% of the time. And because they were all hooked up to these gizmos, they were able to observe brain activity, uh, either based uh, on when they resisted peer pressure on wrong answers, or when they gave into it. And they could tell different segments of of the brain uh, and neurological activity. The scientists summarized their findings this way. They said, group pressure actually causes people to change their perception of reality. Group pressure causes people to change their perception of reality, whereas those who resist group pressure experience emotional discomfort. They summarized, fitting in feels good, even at the expense of your otherwise good senses and we pay an emotional price for the courage of our convictions. 
striking observations for somewhat of a lab experiment, but it does alert us to the fact that, that peer pressure is, is something we all know well. Peer pressure is no respecter of ages or of, of social settings. Peer pressure doesn't respect personality types, uh, nationalities, cultural surroundings. It is all around us. And so it is so helpful that the book of Proverbs leads with this very question. If you remember how it starts, we, we get these seven verses of introduction in Proverbs that introduce the centrality of the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, following John Murray, I like to, to think is so nicely defined as that reverence and awe for God that elicits confidence in His ways and love for Him. Fear and rever reverence and awe for God that elicits confidence in His ways and love for Him. And yet, following fear of the Lord we immediately are introduced now to its rival, fear of man. The exact opposite. Because Proverbs knows that people are easily enticed by reverence and awe for other people. That elicits confidence in their ways and love for them. Confidence in their ways, regardless of whether those ways are upright and wise, and love for them, even if their ways are unloving toward others. Now, fear of man really is the biblical language for what we call peer pressure. And so this morning, we see the father, we see this sage warning against peer pressure, warning against fear of man, first by showing the ugly details of life given over to this temptation, but then after that, contrasting it with the benefits of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. And so we'll look at three points in our passage here this morning. First, the temptation to fear of man. Secondly, the warning against fear of man. And something we need to hear in response to this, the answer to fear of man. So first of all, the temptation. If you look at verses 10 to 14, we, we have the Father's description of temptation, uh, primarily uh, given in terms of three main enticers, three main things that are vying for this son's heart. First of all, in verse 11, the gang entices the son with sin for sin's sake. Sin for the sake of sinning. Just being bad because it's fun to be bad. Verse 11, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. See, the gang knows that the victim has done nothing wrong, done nothing to deserve the attack, uh, and yet they do it anyway. And I think if we're honest, we can all think of times, perhaps when we were kids, or even sadly, perhaps in recent days, when we've experienced the thrill of being bad. There's an excitement, right? There, there's a mystique. There's that adrenaline rush. Perhaps even there's that feeling of power and control engaging in sin just because we feel we can. So enticed for the, to sin for the sake of sinning. But secondly, in verse 12, the gang also plays to the lust for power, the lust for control, uh, with a lofty claim to their own strength. They, in verse 12, compare themselves to Shoal, to the grave itself. Like Shoal, let us swallow them alive. And none of us likes to be weak. Uh, none of us want to be manipulated. None of us want to be controlled by other people. And, and yet look how tempting it is then to respond by manipulating and controlling others making them feel weak so that we can feel strong instead. Do you see how, how, how enticing that is? That temptation toward power. 
But in verses 13 and 14, we see a third enticer, money. So there's a monetary benefit added. You're right, maybe the son can, can uh, withstand the peer pressure to just be an anarchist. Maybe he can even withstand the temptation to have power and wield power over other people and control them. But likely, likely we can get him to crack when money's on the line. Money feeds into that lust for power and lust for control that, that we have. One writer says, Riches grant us a measure of independence and social power, which can so easily lead to such sins as pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency, and self-indulgence. Money can feed into that desire for power, desire for independence, desire for autonomy. So the gang has thrown all this at the sun, and and we may be looking at this, and, and this is just such a brash assertion by this gang that we may look down on this young man. We might think, yeah, sure we like money. Yeah, I, I, at times I, I admit to wanting control, and sometimes I just want to be a rebel, but I would never murder somebody for any of those reasons. But remember, this is how fear of man plays out. This is how peer pressure works on the heart. It is that reverence and awe for other people eliciting confidence in their ways and love for them. You see, the son sees in the gang preachers of a rival vision of the good life. The gang comes uh, as his friends. The gang comes uh, building him up by inviting him, encouraging his gifts. Come join with us. You have what it takes, my friend. They affirm his strengths by including him. And they respect him so much that he gets an equal share. I'm struck by that intro that these, these uh, scientists suggest that peer pressure causes people to change their perception of reality. That's exactly what's happening here. The son is now viewing reality through these pragmatic lenses, through these rebellious and autonomous lenses. And so even if we aren't looking for, uh, looking to others for wealth or for gang-like inclusion, we can easily look to others for things that aren't supposed to be ultimate, right? We can look to others for affection. We look, can look to others for attention. We can look to others for affirmation and praise. Look at me, I'm working hard. We can look to them for respect and for obedience. All good things. And yet, as the saying goes, good goods make bad gods. We can make the respect of others our sort of ultimate aim. Or the obedience of those who ought to show us obedience. We can make that an ultimate aim. And so the son has been enticed. We can see here that, that we're not so different as we might have wished. And yet, let's do a thought experiment here and think, well, is it really wrong to just want to go in with the gang? Right? Isn't this just the Darwinian way of survival? Right? Networking, even if it involves some compromises from time to time, that's how we make it in this world that is just material. Well, in verses 15 to 19, the father then makes clear the reasons for this warning. We move to our second point, then the warning against fear of man. Verses 15 18 here begin a new section. And the, and the father exhorts his son, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. 
Now, verses 16 and 17 each give a reason uh, for the warning with the word for. First of all, we have something of a, of a prophetic or, or we might call it a covenantal reason. The reason I say this is at first glance, verse 16 seems a bit of a truism. Seems a bit obvious. The question the son is probably asking, okay, dad, why should I not give, why should I not shed the blood of the innocent with the gang? Well, the answer he gives is because they make haste to shed blood. Well, duh. I mean, if the gang succeeded in, in enticing the, uh, the, the student. Well, that's what he was planning to do anyway, as we saw in verse 11. How does hearing this do anything? The answer is that verse 16 is actually related intertextually to Isaiah 59, verse 7, where the prophet writes, Their feet run to shed evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. You see, we have an intertextual connection here forged by Isaiah. Now in Isaiah 59, Israel is accused of walking on crooked paths. Israel is accused of traveling on, on highways of desolation and destruction. They commit iniquity. They do violence and they do not uphold justice. And so Israel gropes about in the dark because there's no light of justice to guide them. And the thing is, the sins committed by the gang are the very same that elicited this prophetic indictment in Isaiah's day. You see, fear of man is the stuff of the covenant. Fear of man warrants a prophetic rebuke on account of that. Fear of man warrants prosecution by a covenant lawyer, by one of the prophets. And this verse seems to draw attention to that here in Proverbs 1. This behavior won't actually help you secure the contentment and the peace your heart desires. This won't secure the blessings of a covenant by the gang. Instead, it will trigger the wrath and punishment. It will trigger the sanctions of the covenant of the Lord, the God who alone can provide what is needed for the son's flourishing and wholeness. By following the gang, by following this enticement, the son is cutting off the branch on which he stands. So there is somewhat of a covenantal or, or prophetic reason, but the father goes on and gives a common sense reason. Verse 17 talks about birds and says that, that even birds are smart enough to avoid flying into a trap that's been set up directly in their sight. And you look how that contrast with verse 18 and almost a, a humorous, reminds me of a Gary Larson far side comic where the guys are standing inside the trap and, and, uh, and the tiger's coming. He says, shh, I hear it coming, right? They're going to pull it and it's going to fall on them with the tiger in it. Well, something similar going on here. If we, if we had big screens, then we might put that comic up in our Sunday morning service, right? Ooh, ooh. But look, here too, we see the rival vision of the good life being challenged by the Father. Do birds think that a snare is the place to find freedom? Do birds think a trap is, is where they're going to find wholeness? Do they, uh, do they find traps as a place of flourishing? And the answer is no. Birds are smart enough to see the snare as cutting off the possibility of those very things. And yet the gang rushes headlong into them. And so verse 19 concludes the lesson with, with the moral of the story, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. See, the end of this path, 
the end of this way is, is not the way of getting ahead. It's not the way of contentment. It's not the way of plenty. It's the way of death. Now, we live in a world that says that our that achieving our dreams is based entirely on our own efforts. We're told that we control our own destinies. There was a popular preacher in the 19, well, went on for many decades, but in the 1990s wrote a book entitled, If It's Going to Be, It's Up to Me. If it's going to be, it's up to me. With a mindset like this, it's no wonder that the fear of man can take root. Because most of us recognize that in spite of this book's title, if it's up to me, it probably isn't going to be. And so what do we need? We need others to help us get where we're going to be. We need others to to prop us up. And the way to best benefit from others is to ally with them. And so we may may, uh, rationalize this and say, well, I don't really agree with that guy's business ethics, but he's successful. And if I partner with him, he'll help my business. If it's going to be, it's up to me. So I will do what it takes to, to get those things. And yet fear of man has negative, indeed, often disastrous results to make man one's ultimate point of orientation. It means to, to trust in one who simply doesn't have the resources to infallibly provide for our needs. Not to mention that man can be fickle. If we're using them, are we sure they're not using us? And when are they going to turn on us, just like they've turned on others? Indeed, the Father made clear in verse 19, the end of this path is death. But where does that leave us then? Where does that leave us when we, when we see just how serious is fear of man? How serious is the temptation to follow the peer pressure of the gang and the admission that we have done just that? Well, this brings us to our final point this morning, the answer to fear of man. If we go to the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 4, we find the writer of Hebrews speaking into the situation described here in Proverbs 1. Hebrews 4, starting at verse 12, reminds us first of the seriousness of this instruction. Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. See, God's word exposes us. Proverbs 1, verses 18 to 19 exposes us. And if we're frank with ourselves, we have not lived consistently in the fear of the Lord. We've not consistently rejected the fear of man. And all we can say in response is, guilty, your honor. But thankfully, Hebrews 4 doesn't stop here. Instead, it goes on in in verse 14 to describe the remedy provided for those who have failed to avoid the enticement of sinners. We read there, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Remember the enticement of sinners that our Lord faced? Remember that scenario where he was taken into the wilderness and tempted by the devil and yet Christ withstood him, promised the good life, promised all the kingdoms of the world, and yet rebuked him with God's word, standing against the enticement of Satan? Or do you remember the temptation to give into those mocking voices around the cross to, to come down? And yet Jesus withstood even those tempting voices to pass the cup away from himself. And it's because of this that Hebrews 4.16 can end this section saying, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you in need? Are you in need of that resilience for peer pressure to stand against those enticements, to stand against compromising your beliefs, your convictions, your knowledge of God's will? Come to Jesus with confidence because He's given Himself for you. It's amazing how we see Christ as the truly wise man throughout the New Testament. And perhaps in the magisterial wisdom passage of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul tells us that Christ himself is our wisdom from God. But in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he says even further that Christ is our wisdom, but also our righteousness. You see, his perfect life of obedience to the law, indeed his perfect life of wisdom has been reckoned to us who believe. And Christ the Father accepts us as those who have perfectly resisted the enticement of sinners, as those who have never succumbed to the fear of man, as those who have never committed idolatry by worshiping and fearing the creature instead of the Creator. So what does that mean for those of us who have fallen to peer pressure, who have fallen to fear of man? It means that we need not despair. Because caving into this, caving into the opinions and fear of man is a sin. And because it's a sin, that means Christ died even for that. It means we can strive against it with confidence. We can strive against it in knowledge of Christ's victory over it. We can strive against peer pressure and, and this fear of man as those who will never be separated from God on account of it. We can mature in our fear of the Lord. We can see the ugliness of fear of man because we are those who have been given the Holy Spirit who even now is conforming us to the image of the wise one, to the image of Jesus Christ, the one who embodies Proverbs 1 verses 8 to 19 perfectly. And really that's why Proverbs 1 verses 8 and 9 opens this lesson when it says, Hear my son your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. God's wisdom in Proverbs, generally speaking, and its specific application to peer pressure is like jewelry. It makes us radiant. It's a mark of our blessedness. This wisdom that is being inculcated in our lives is a mark of our beloved status. In wisdom, in this skill that we are gaining 
through pursuit of wisdom, we exchange our fig leaves of pragmatism for a raiment of glory. We, we exchange that raiment that cannot cover, that cannot protect, that does not inspire, for instead garments that mark us out as sons and daughters of the wise king himself. It's important when we see a passage like this and think about this topic, we remember that avoiding the gang is not simply negative advice against wicked behavior. It is that, but it's not only that. It is also the positive way of flourishing. It is the way of peace. It is the way of wholeness. It is the way of shalom. It is the way of righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. My brothers, walk in wisdom. Resist the enticement of sinners. And avoid the death that entraps sinners who lie in wait for their own blood. Walk instead wisely. Walk skillfully in the fear of the Lord because he's prepared a better way than our human attempts to find success in life. And he encourages us to draw near to him, to ask him this morning for wisdom, to inspire us with his goodness, to help us see just how compelling is his wisdom. Praise God for our most wise high priest, whose perfect resistance to enticement and peer pressure and whose avoidance of an infinite number of other sins enables even us to draw near with confidence to that throne of grace and mercy. Thanks be to God. Amen. Praise be to God for that throne of grace indeed. Thank you, Reverend Compton, for that message from Proverbs. We hope you'll join us next week as Dr. Alan Strange brings us a word from 2 Samuel 24 in the account of David's census. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu, YouTube, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Be sure to search Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.